Good morning, TCC. It's good to be with you this morning. Have you ever used the expression that something is what it is? Like, ah, it is what it is. Uh, When I used to frame houses around Calgary, I remember it was a phrase we used on the job site quite often. Uh, We would be working hard, building a wall, trying to get the wall perfectly square, and then we'd stand it, and we'd try to get it perfectly level. But oftentimes, it was like there were forces working against us. We couldn't quite get it perfectly square, and we couldn't quite get it perfectly level, but we'd say, it is what it is, and we'd move on to the next task. And I wonder if that phrase sometimes, you know, in, in that setting is probably a good thing because you don't want to like totally get bent out of shape over a, a 16th of an inch or something like that. But in other areas of our lives, I wonder if that expression might do us more harm than good. Areas in our lives where like, ah, it's, it's okay. I, this thing in my life, it doesn't really need to change. And sometimes I think about my relationship with God or my faith, my life with Jesus, and I wonder if at times I look at it and I say, well, it is what it is. It's okay. When I think about our mission statement here at TCC to know Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to share Jesus, we can look at any one of those statements and, and examine our own lives and say, okay, how am I doing it knowing him? How am I doing it walking with him? How am I doing it sharing him with others? And be like, probably could be better, but it is what it is. Well, we're entering as a church into the season of Lent. And the season of Lent is about identifying with Jesus' sufferings and entering into his passion, his, his final days on earth. And the season of Lent prepares our hearts for Good Friday. And as we reflect on the suffering of Jesus, as we reflect on the price that he paid for our sin, uh, we are invited in this season into a posture of repentance. And that's not to say that we ignore repentance the rest of the year. It's that this is it's kind of a special time, a special emphasis on repentance. It's a time of confession, a time of examining our hearts and not saying it is what it is, but rather inviting the Spirit of God to do a work in us that only He can do. As Lent was approaching on the calendar, Pastor Norb was prayerfully asking the Lord, what what series should we do during Lent? And God laid on his heart this, this idea of going through the seven deadly sins. And so we're going to be beginning that journey this morning. Um, and when we think about the, deadly, the seven deadly sins, a couple of things. The first is to, to note that historically it wasn't called the seven deadly sins. They didn't use the word sins. They used the word vices. Uh, where sin is this idea of going our own way without God, the choices that we make that are deliberately against him. The concept of vices has a lot more to do with our hearts. Where we talk about virtue, someone who is virtuous, They might be uh, brave or courageous as a virtue, and that virtue works itself out of their lives. It it affects their actions and their behaviors. These seven deadly sins historically were known as vices, which is the opposite of a virtue. Habits and behaviors um, that kind of well up out of us and affect the things we do in our lives. Uh, One of the main resources we're using for this book uh, defines vices in this way, and I'm having trouble connecting to my PowerPoint, which is always great. Vices are a corruption and destruction of habits. They undermine both our goodness of character and our living and acting well. They eat away at our ability to see things clearly and to appreciate things as we ought to. To love and live in healthy relationships with others and to refrain from self-destructive patterns of behavior. And so when we read a list like this, we see that vices might be some of the things that keep us in this posture of, oh, it is what it is. 
Maybe it's a, a sin that you find yourself caught up in and you just can't seem to, to get out of the cycle of sin. Or maybe it's a relationship that you have in your life where things just aren't right and you're not really motivated in seeing it better. Or maybe it's your relationship with God where you're like, yeah, it's great hanging out with God on Sundays. I try to read my Bible when I think of it. I try to pray when I think of it. But, you know, a life with God, I'm not really sure that's for me. But as we look through the lens of these seven deadly sins or these seven vices, I believe it's going to give us a framework to look at our own lives, to examine our hearts in perhaps a way that we haven't before, and to ask some difficult questions. Because considering the seven vices is going to help us see some of our own blind spots and challenge us to consider how might we partner with God's Spirit to grow, to become more and not less. To be someone who's loving God and loving others in a way that we desire to. The way that God desires us to. So we're starting that off uh, this morning. And I'm going to be starting off this, these seven weeks by talking about gluttony. Gluttony. How many of you have heard a sermon on gluttony before? One? Okay. A couple? Okay. That's neat. I never have. I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on food before. So I was really thrown off balance in preparing for this message. Um, And things were happening to me all week that don't normally happen when I prepare a message. It started on Tuesday night when my parents came over with pizza. And me and my girls are eating pizza and I'm enjoying my first plate. And I love pizza. So I'm, you know, starting to add pizza back onto my plate. And I'm like eating, eating, and I'm getting full. And I'm like, I'm going to have another piece of pizza, right? And then it like hits me. Like, Adam, you've been like studying gluttony all day. And like, here you are, gorging yourself. And then the next morning, I was in a cafe working on my sermon. And I'd finished off my, my drink. And I was like, I'm going to get some more coffee. And I, I walk over to, the, to the, the barista there. And I'm, I'm ordering my coffee. And I look. And to my left is this beautiful display case full of delicious pastries. And I see in there a banana chocolate chip muffin, and I look at the barista, and these were my exact words. I said, I should probably get that banana chocolate chip muffin. And so he serves that up for me, and I'm walking back to my table with my banana chocolate chip muffin and my third cup of coffee, and I'm like, oh yeah, gluttony, right? Like, shoot. But am I thinking about gluttony right? Is the way that our culture thinks about gluttony right? Is it simply about overeating? As I studied it, it's about so much more than that, which, uh uh-oh, oh boy, because here we go. You might be sitting here going, I don't struggle with overeating, so I don't need to listen to this message. But um, church history and and some of the thought around this, I think there's something in this for all of us. And this is kind of the leading question I have for us in this message. What does our relationship with food have to tell us about how we may grow in our relationship with God? What does your relationship with food tell you about how you might grow in your relationship with with God. That is kind of our leading question in my heart for this message, that as we reflect on our relationships with food, we might consider areas in our lives where we can go deeper in our love and desire for Jesus. So let's jump into this. What is gluttony? As I already mentioned, we often think of gluttony, especially in the West, only through the lens of overeating. It's that seventh or eighth or ninth piece of pizza. I did not eat nine pieces of pizza Tuesday night, but I probably could have. Um, It's so much more than that. Culturally, when we think about it, uh, we miss out on so much of what gluttony is because it's really just about our relationship with food. In the Old Testament, the word that is translated into our English gluttony is the word zoel, uh, which means to squander or to waste. When the purpose of food is wasted, we end up in the realms of gluttony. 
So what is the purpose of food? Well, we look in Scripture, Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. God gives food to humanity as a gift. He gave it to them to nourish them. He said, here is the food. This is what you get to eat. And as we keep reading in the biblical story, we see that more than than just nourishment, food was a means of celebration. You know, in the book of Leviticus, we read about all these different laws and all this stuff. Uh, God is commanding the people of Israel to keep the feasts. And one of the feasts, the Feast of Booths, the requirement for them is that for seven days, they're to feast. They're to eat good food. They're to drink good drink. They're to enjoy food. And, And so we see that in Scripture, Food was not only just for nutrition, but it was also for celebration. So God gave food as a way to nourish the body, to make our bodies strong and healthy, but he also gave food as a way for us to celebrate um, the things that God has done. But humanity has a way of taking what God has given us and using it to our own ends, don't we? We have a way of taking what God has given it and using it to our own ends. Food was meant to nourish us. It was meant to be enjoyed by us. But when we interact with food outside of its created purpose, we end up wasting it. Gluttony. Gluttony describes the destructive use of food outside of its created purpose. So the original understanding of the vices, specifically about gluttony, saw gluttony again as so much more than overeating. And they actually had five different ways of looking at gluttony. Five different behaviors that they viewed as gluttonous. And so I want to go through those quickly for us. In addition to this, I was really challenged by a companion resource to this series, and it's a Lenten devotional by Ken Knightman, who partners the sin of gluttony with the issue of fear. Ken Knightman believes that if you're going to look at gluttonous behavior and ask why are people engaging in gluttonous behavior, you pull back the gluttonous behavior, and you're going to probably see some fear that's motivating it. And so not only do I want to outline the five, but I want to suggest three fears that go along with it. So um, I'm already way out of time, and so uh, buckle up. We're going to try to go through, these, uh, go through these quickly here. The first is the issue of eating too soon. The first gluttonous behavior, eating too soon. Very simply, this is eating when you're not hungry. Um, just eating because you feel like eating. The second, similarly, is eating too quickly. And I think all of us have eaten too quickly before. A funny part of my upbringing, when I got into junior high, my parents bought this big house, and I'm not going to get too much into the story because this raised way more questions than answers. Um, But I was eating supper around a table with upwards of 12 to 16 people every night of the week, if you can believe it, all through junior high and high school, as my parents um, just created space for university students to to live and eat uh, for a, a low price. And so growing up in this house and being a junior high, high school boy, if I wanted to eat seconds, I had to eat as fast as I could. And I would shovel food in my mouth so I could get back and beat other people uh, to, to get more food into my body. Now when I think about eating too soon or eating too quickly, what is perhaps a fear that motivates them? Well, I think it's the fear that there will never be enough. Will I wake up hungry? What if I don't feel full? At the worst of these two, we push other people aside for the sake of our own appetites, right? We say, get out of my way, I am hungry. We eat without gratitude. We eat without recognizing the blessing of what food is. We eat while not trusting our Heavenly Father to provide for us the things that we need. We eat in a state of hurry. Third on the list out of the five is eating too particularly or eating too fussy. 
This is a food obsession. Seeing food as a means to produce certain outcomes. The person who is eating too particularly as kind of a gluttonous behavior would say that I want to be a particular type of person. So I eat particular foods in particular ways. Or I don't eat at all. Food becomes a means of controlling an image both inward, which is eating a certain way to feel good about yourself, or outward, dieting to maintain a physique or eating trendy food or having trendy food choices, being up to date on the latest food-related health trends. Eating too fussy or too particularly uh, can be expressed in an obsession with nutrition, an obsession with diet plans, or using food as a means of social status. And I didn't think that this was a thing until I put my daughter in preschool, and I'm sending her to school with like her snacks in her backpack, and I'm thinking to myself, well, what other snacks are the other kids going to have? Is my kid going to fit in when she starts eating her snack? Or are like other kids going to look at her and laugh at her because she's eating an apple and they have a fruit to go or whatever it is? That's this type of gluttony. It's looking at, at, at the use of food to allow yourself to fit into certain social places. Now the difficulty with this, this type of gluttony when we talk about particularity around nutrition is that healthy eating and taking care of your bodies is important. Healthy eating and taking care of your bodies is aligned with God's purpose of food. However, when that purpose extends beyond health itself into using a food as means to control our outward image, then I believe that we've wandered into gluttonous territory. In this preoccupation around image, I believe it reveals the fear. The fear of not belonging. The fear of not belonging. So whether you're particular about quality and quantity of food for the sake of your physique, this idea of I need to look a certain way, I need to look a certain way so that I can be accepted by the people around me. Or maybe it's, it's looking at, um, it's being preoccupied with diet and types of food for social acceptance. You want to be someone who serves the right kind of food to the right kinds of people. Or you don't want to be someone who's ever associated as eating that type of food in that way, if you hear what I'm saying. Or maybe it's a fear and an obsession over diet and types of food for the sake of self-acceptance. That if I just, I have to keep my diet, I have to eat the things that I think I need to eat in order to feel good about myself. In all of these things, when they're taken to an extreme, we've wandered into the territory of gluttony. Eating too particularly or too fussy is to become so food-obsessed that food becomes an idol. We end up looking to food to provide true vitality. And in looking to food to provide us true vitality, we have a problem. The fourth on the list is eating too expensively or eating exclusively for pleasure. This is an overextending or wasting of resources in order to enjoy certain foods. And the fifth is eating too much, the one we're maybe the most familiar with. Now, I grouped these two together because in these two, I see that food becomes a means to joy. Food as a means to joy. Now again, enjoying food is part of God's purpose given to food. However, when that enjoyment evolves to being a primary place to go in order to feel comfort, in order to feel okay, in order to feel happy or to feel joy, we've again overextended the purpose of food and entered into gluttonous territory. See, food and drink were meant to be 
um, a means of us celebrating what God has done. But we lose the celebration when we eat too lavishly and eat too much as an end within itself. Now the fear that I believe that goes with these two is the fear of rightly dealing with our longings or our emotions. In our culture, we call this emotional eating. It's so easy to reach for a drink or to order a pizza or to say to your spouse, let's go out to that fancy restaurant even though we can't afford it. It's so easy to use food as a medication or a tool to satisfy some sort of dissatisfied part in us. Now, if the dissatisfied part in us is hunger, we're just simply hungry, then great. Eat some food. Fill your stomach. But if that dissatisfied place in you is sadness or loneliness or depression, you've once again potentially wandered into gluttonous territory. The problem with this is that food ends up controlling you and it becomes a primary place of comfort or a primary place of pleasure. And food was not meant to play that role, was it? So here's the list of five. Eating too soon, eating too quickly, eating too particularly, eating too expensively, or eating too much. I think that we can think about these things um, and, and reflect on them in a lot of ways. In Philippians chapter 3, I think that Paul kind of points to the sin of gluttony and kind of catches all of them at the same time. He describes people who are living apart from God. And he says that their end is destruction and their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. That line that their God is their belly is such an, an off-putting line to me. It's this idea that those who live out of a gluttonous posture are actually subjected to their flesh. Their stomach is their God. Their stomach is the one calling the shots. Whether they feel lonely, I need some food. Whether they feel like there's not enough, I need to eat quickly, I need to hurry. Whatever it is, the relationship with their food is not the way that God had created it to be. So I ask of you this morning, what from this list resonates with you? What from this list resonates you? Again, we're not going through the, the seven deadly sins at all with any hope to induce guilt. We're not trying to make you feel shame. We're not trying to do any of that. Rather, we're going through these vices to present to you an invitation. An invitation to begin receiving more than what food could ever give you. And at this point, I want to turn to my opening question. What does your relationship with food have to tell you about how you may grow in your relationship with God? Because when I think of this list and I study these things and even reflect on my past week, I see in my own life a lot of ways that my relationship with food is disjointed. I see in my own life a lot of ways that I wander into gluttonous territory. For me, a huge one is, is going to food to find comfort. That it just feels good to eat. But I know that I do this at times to the neglect of going to Jesus for comfort. And the bigger problem I find with this whole issue is that the reality that surrounds gluttony is that we will always be hungry again. When we engage with food outside of its creative purpose, we will always be left wanting more. It cannot truly satisfy us the way that we were designed to be satisfied by God. So what from these reflections on the vice of gluttony may help us to examine our hearts and move towards a deeper 
more enriched life with Jesus. Well, that's what I want us to do. I want us to look at Jesus. And, and how does Jesus respond to maybe some of these fears that are present in the vice of gluttony? Well, let's jump into that. Well, gluttony may result from a fear of not having enough, Jesus invites us to trust in our Heavenly Father. Some familiar passages around this. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 um, is where Jesus is telling us not to be anxious. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you more valued than they? It's a rhetorical question. Absolutely, you are, you are more valuable than they are. And Jesus here in, in Matthew chapter 6 is reminding us that God is going to take care of us and provide for us the way that he takes care of and provides for the birds. The invitation is to look at the birds. To look at the birds and see how God has cared for and provided for them. And the trust that God is going to care for and provide for us. Another passage, Mark chapter 8, uh, which Stacy read for us this morning. I love this scenario. So, so Jesus, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus has just fed thousands of people. He's taken a few loaves of bread and he's multiplied it and fed the masses. And through this experience, after this experience, Jesus and the disciples get into a boat and they begin to cross over. And Jesus begins to teach them about the yeast of the Pharisees. And the disciples don't understand what he's talking about. And they assume that he's rebuking them for not bringing bread. That's how this section starts, that the disciples forgot to, to, to bring bread. And so Jesus responds to them, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said, 12. And when seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. He said to them, do you not understand? You're worried about whether or not I, I brought bread? Are you kidding me? Like, that's Jesus' tone in this, right? He's like, did you just miss the miracle? We just fed thousands of people with seven loaves of bread, and you're worried that we're not going to have enough food. Friends, in the kingdom of heaven, there are always leftovers. In the kingdom of heaven, there are always leftovers. This is an invitation for us to trust. It's an invitation for us to eat slowly. To savor each bite of food. To take it remembering that this is a gift from God. That as I eat this pizza or as I eat this banana chocolate chip muffin, this is a gift from God. It is a blessing. I don't have to eat it fast. I don't have to worry that there'll never be enough. Because Jesus has invited me to trust in my heavenly Father. What was the next fear? The fear of not belonging. Well, gluttony may result from a fear of not belonging. Jesus invites us to be at home in him. Jesus invites us to be at home in him. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can flip to, to Matthew chapter 11. And in Matthew chapter 11, we have this really amazing account of the disciples of John the Baptist have come to Jesus. And, um, and they're asking Jesus, are you the Savior? Are you the one we're waiting for? And Jesus, uh, his response to them is phenomenal, um, totally aside from my message. But then Jesus goes on to talk about John the Baptist. And, and in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 11, we read that, For John came neither eating or drinking, and they said, He has a demon. But the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. 
So what's Jesus saying in this passage? What I love about this is, you know, first of all, we need to recognize Jesus was called a glutton, right? So again, this is the whole idea of what is gluttony and all that, right? Like Jesus was called a glutton by the Pharisees because he ate with the wrong types of people. But here Jesus saw food not as a means of controlling a social situation. Jesus saw food not as a means of controlling his image, but as an opportunity to demonstrate that all are welcome at the table. Jesus could have used food as a way to draw social boundaries. He could have used food to, to, to curate his own image. But instead, he said, no, I'm using food to say that all people are welcome at the table. Friends, our sense of belonging needs to start with Jesus. That we are safe in him. We don't need to trust in food as a means of vitality. But we trust in Jesus. And then after trusting in Jesus, what do we do? We partner with him. We partner with him for wisdom of how to best care for our bodies. We partner with him with, for wisdom of, of how, to, how do I approach care for my body? How do I approach my relationship with food? But we do that without needing to obsess about food. And if you're familiar with Matthew chapter 11, you know just a few verses later in verse 28, Jesus says to them, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For so many, uh, so, so as a quick teaching on this, uh, when Jesus is talking about his yoke, He's talking about his way of life or his teaching. Every rabbi of the day had a yoke. So Jesus is saying, come and take my yoke upon you. And when I think about that concept in, the, in relation to food and to the gluttony of particularity, so many of us have taken on the, the yoke of the world. How should we be the, the best people we can be? What's the best diet? What's the best way to eat? What's the best image to get? What's the best diet to result in the best end? We're taking on the yoke of the world. Now, I'm not saying that all that stuff is bad. I'm saying that we need Jesus' yoke first. We need to put Jesus' yoke on us first. We need to have rest in him. And then process what our relationship with food should be. Because we shouldn't be using food as a means of control or a source of life and vitality. We go to Jesus and we submit our control to him and we turn to him for life and vitality. Which takes us to the next fear of light, rightly dealing with our longings and our emotions. While gluttony may result from a fear of rightly dealing with our longings and emotions, Jesus invites us to come and be satisfied in him. Jesus invites us to come and be satisfied in him. The Gospel of John uh, speaks a lot to this theme. And in John chapter 7, we have Jesus um, getting up at the middle of a, a festival in Israel. And if we go uh, in, in John chapter 7, verse 37 to, to 39... Jesus says these words, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow streams of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as of yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus is inviting them, come to me to be satisfied. You have emotional baggage, you have, you have these, this desire for comfort, you're feeling depressed, you're feeling all these, these fears or these emotions. Come to me and find satisfaction. And friends, Jesus lived this out. Just a few chapters earlier, Jesus is 
um, speaking very similarly to a woman in Samaria. And he's talking to her about this, this life-giving water. Come and drink a water that, that is going to allow you to never be thirsty again. Of course, he's speaking uh, metaphorically here. But the context of the story is that Jesus is alone with a woman because the disciples went to go find food. And they come back to Jesus and he's done teaching to this woman. This woman is gone and the disciples are saying to him, Jesus, it's, it's time for you to eat. But Jesus says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Now, did Jesus eat literal food? As far as we can tell, no, he did not. But it was the the ministry he was engaging in in that moment. Jesus' relationship and his faithfulness to the Father was sustaining to him. This, to me, echoes the experience we have of Jesus um, back in Matthew and in Luke, the, the account of his temptation, where Jesus is going 40 days and 40 nights without food. And how does he respond to the devil's temptation to make bread? He says, man shall not live by bread alone. That bread cannot fully satisfy me, but what can satisfy me is my relationship with the Father. And as I live my life with him, it satisfies me in ways you do not understand. So we can take our brokenness, we can take our weaknesses, we can take all the things that compel us to eat food, to try to fill a void in our lives, and we can take those things to Jesus. We let the hunger, physical hunger that we feel, be a prompt to to turn to God. Because while food offers a temporary satisfaction and relief, Jesus invites us to come to him and experience deep satisfaction and joy. Instead of reaching for more food, we need to reach for more of Jesus. So what do we take from this message? How do we maybe put some of this stuff in practice into practice. Just quickly, I have a a few practices for us to consider. The first is the practice of saying thanks. The practice of saying thanks. Um, I find myself, and maybe many of you, I am someone who ends up scarfing food back because I'm just rushing through my day trying to get from one thing to the next. But that really strips me of gratitude. (laughs) But what if every time you ate a meal, you You didn't just kind of throw out the Jesus blessed us food in Jesus' name, amen. But what if you actually sat in front of that food and like look at it and be like, man, this is a gift from God. And take opportunity at those moments of eating throughout your day to just turn your eyes to Jesus. And say thank you for what he has given. To eat it slowly and savor each bite with thanksgiving. So that's like a super simple thing you might do this week and and onwards. The next is the practice of celebrating. The practice of celebrating. You know, I found it interesting, like, when I think about, like, Thanksgiving dinner, um, you know, we, we, like, load the table up with all this food. And um, recently, like, in recent years, I've kind of been like, man, like, we eat this much food all the time, you know? Like, and I've often said to my wife, I'm like, why don't we eat turkey dinners all the time? You know, like, it's it's cheap, it's not that hard to make, all these things. Um, But what's so neat about a Thanksgiving dinner is, you know, it's like maybe twice a year you have turkey. You have this meal. And there's something about it where it's like, okay, here we go. We're celebrating, right? And it's that moment. But that moment of celebration and and the moment of, 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 of celebrating that bounty can be lost if we're eating lots of food all of the time. And so to celebrate well, we do well to eat simply other times of the week or other times of the year. So something, and in my context anyway, that the Thanksgiving dinner is special because it only comes out twice a year, right? In October and December, we have this big meal. 
And so it's, it remains special. There's reason for not eating it the rest of the year. My wife and I, we, we're trying really hard to do Sabbath really well as a family. And part of doing Sabbath well, I think, is starting your Sabbath with a Sabbath meal. Sabbath should start in the evening. And you, we would, for our family, it would be Friday night to uh, Saturday supper. But that Friday night, how can we have a special meal? A meal that set, is set apart from the rest of the week. A meal where we maybe do eat a little bit more. A meal where we, we make that special thing to help us really celebrate and appreciate what God has given us. Now again, what's the implication? Is that we eat simply the rest of the week. Something else we're trying to try as a family is the, the practice of eating rice and beans at least once a week. And the reason we do this is that um, such a large population of our world lives off rice and beans. That's, that's basically what they eat. And here we have a fridge full of all this food, but for us as a family to eat rice and beans is a way to take up and, and have solidarity with the poor, to have solidarity with those who are less fortunate with us than, than we are. And in these ways we use food as a way to kind of orient our hearts back towards God, to help us to celebrate and help us to give thanks. Just a few thoughts around that. The next practice is one we talk about all the time at TCC, is the practice of silence and solitude. And just yesterday, we had a group out at the Star of the North in St. Albert um, engaged in a silent retreat. Uh, We do those once a month, and I just encourage you uh, to consider that. And the reason I bring this up in the context of gluttony is that if we're going to food to be satisfied, especially as it relates to, um, to satisfying comforts in our lives, um, we, ne- we need to be careful. And, and our satisfaction and the comfort we receive really should be coming from our Heavenly Father. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. And so we need to actually take time to come before God, to sit with Him, And to experience him comforting us, speaking to us in our heartache and our pain. But if we're not getting alone with him, we're not going to experience the comfort that he has to offer. The fourth and final practice is, of course, maybe the obvious one, but the practice of fasting to break the power of gluttonous eating. Fasting is a willing abstinence from food for a period of time. And it's one of the most abused and least used of all the practices of Jesus. Yet for over a millennia, it was a core practice of all followers of Jesus. We live in a culture not only of food, but a culture of excess, of luxury, and of addiction. So for many of us, the desires of our body have come to have a power over us. And in the battle against the flesh or against sin, or in that that verse in Philippians, this idea of our, our stomachs being our God... Uh, We struggle to fight in that battle. We've become a slave to our body, not our body's master. And so that is what makes fasting so powerful, is we say no to our body. We say no to letting our bodies rule over us, and instead we choose not to eat. We choose not to give it what it wants. There's this quote by John Mark Homer that I've used before, but it's just so spot on with fasting. Um, With fasting, we decide of our own accord not to give our bodies what they want, food. As a result, when somebody else decides not to give us what we want, or life circumstances decide not to give us what we want, or God decides not to give us what we want, we don't freak out. We don't rage. We don't go ballistic on Twitter. We've trained our souls to be happy and at peace, even when we don't get our way. Fasting is practicing suffering 
In fasting, we're learning how to suffer with joy. Now, as we head into the season of Lent as a church, we want to invite you, TCC, to join us in weekly fasting on Thursdays. Um, this is a great practice. Uh, fasting is associated with Lent um, in that kind of that last line on that quote that um, we're learning how to suffer with joy. In the, in the season of Lent, we reflect on the sufferings of Jesus. We want to enter into those sufferings of Jesus. So we, we can do that in a very practical way by choosing to fast. Uh, so what we're inviting you into is to eat supper on Wednesday night and then after that meal uh, to fast until supper on Thursday evening. So missing two meals, the breakfast and the lunch on, on the Thursday and, and all the snacking in between, you, kinda, you, you choose not to do that. And you just engage in this practice. Uh, for some of you, this might sound like a massive challenge. You might be like, I don't think I can do that. Well, I encourage you, um, maybe, maybe start by just fasting the lunch, or on the lunch on the Thursday, or whatever it is. But I, really, I encourage you to join us in this practice through the season of Lent. And that as we fast, we learn to say no, uh, we, but we also find greater and deeper delight in Jesus. So we want to invite you into that. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and I'm going to invite you all to stand. I just want us to engage in some reflection and prayer um, as the worship team leads us in this final song. Because again, as you think about these vices or these sins that we're going to be looking at over the next seven weeks, they really open our eyes to see a blind spot in our lives. Areas of our lives that maybe we haven't thought of or considered before. Maybe this morning is the first time you've thought about how food might influence your relationship with God and vice versa. So I'm just going to put some prompts up on the screen and lead us in a, a time of prayer as we respond uh, to some of these thoughts around gluttony. Let's pray together. Yeah, Father God, we thank you so much um, for just your work in our lives. God, we thank you that you desire that we become more and not less. We thank you, Lord, that you desire that we would, would grow into being more like Jesus. And Lord, as we think about gluttony and, and our relationship to food, maybe this is something we've never thought of before. But Lord, we bring you, um, we bring you these thoughts. And just in the quiet of this moment, I just encourage you to, to ask the Lord this question. Lord, where have I demonstrated a heart that is inclined toward gluttony? Just take a moment to, to ask the Holy Lord, where have I demonstrated a heart that is inclined towards gluttony? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to see where gluttony is an issue in our lives. And Lord, in this moment, we confess these thoughts and these behaviors to you. Just take a moment just to think through those areas. And Lord, we just pray that you'd help us to grow in trusting you. I pray that you would help us to grow in understanding that we belong to you. And you, we pray that you would help us to be satisfied in you, Lord Jesus.
So Father, we just invite your spirit just to do that work on our hearts. And even this week, in our eating and our drinking, help us to see where maybe we've wandered into gluttonous territory. And Lord, may we partner with your spirit to know freedom in that area in our lives. And may food propel us to be closer to you, Lord, not further away. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.